Amen. You guys can have a seat. Uh, so yesterday, or this past weekend, I spoke at a student retreat, so I preached Friday night, then twice yesterday, and uh, so my brain's a little bit fried this morning, and, uh, and so if I start teaching out of Daniel, y'all can just be like, bro, wrong sermon, because um, we're going to be in Genesis 27, and, uh, and so my voice is a little bit shot too, so uh, who knows what could happen over the next uh, 20-ish, 30, 50, I don't know how long we're going to go, so I'm kidding, we should be right around the 30 minute mark. So we are going to be in Genesis 27 today, because this tells the story of perhaps one of the earliest cases of identity theft in the course of human history. Uh, it is one brother acting out of ambition, deceit, lack of trust in God's provision. He sets out to assume the identity of his twin brother. And when he does, he tries to take advantage of a blind father and he completely drives a wedge into his family. It completely splits the family apart. It's, it, it's comical in some ways because there's some elements that we're going we're gonna to talk through, we're going to read. It's just like, I can't believe this is happening. And so it's comical in some ways. It's tragic in others. And I would also submit to you, it is way more relevant to our life than perhaps you would initially assume on the first read through. It's a story about a family that God chooses to, to bless, to then in turn bless the whole world. But when you read this story, it's like, it brings questions like, God, why would you choose such a broken collection of individuals? Because, I mean, they really are just kind of screwed up from start to finish. But then those questions can set us on the path to see what God is truly revealing to us in this story. What God is truly revealing to us in this dysfunctional family is that in every turn in their lives, and also at every turn in our lives, it is God's mercy that fits people for his kingdom and enables them to be used as part of his redemptive work. Well, we're going to read a case of identity theft. This story should lead us to see how it is God's mercy that defines our identity as children of God, loved, restored, and redeemed. And so for the past month, we've been talking about God's promise uh, that through Abraham's family, uh, that he would, he would bless Abraham and bring into existence the nation of Israel. And that the Israelites would then in turn be a blessing to the rest of the world as they have been blessed by God. So we've been studying the origin story of the nation of Israel. And we're still early on. We're still early on. We've seen Abraham have a son, Isaac, as a result of this promise. Isaac has married his wife, Rebekah. And today we're going to look at the birth of their twin sons, Jacob and Esau. And so we're three generations into this promise now. Three generations have been told they are blessed by God, they will be blessed by God, and they are to be a blessing to the entire world. And so again, with that type of a promise coming from God, like I would think that, man, this, this family must have it all together because God has placed a tremendous amount of faith and trust and dependence onto them to use them in such a profound way. Like it would have to be the perfect family, right? I mean, we would think like Abraham must be like this awesome dad and just create this incredible home. And then Isaac has to follow in his footsteps uh, to where he just creates this awesome home life where Jacob and Esau feel incredibly loved and valued and cherished. And then Isaac's marriage, man, that must be so strong, right? Isaac and Rebecca, complete trust in one another, on the same page with the way that they lead and serve the family. Like, those are kind of the expectations we would have of a family that God is going to use in such a profound and, 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 and eternal way. And so you would think if God's going to choose one family to bless out of the whole world, they have to be quite the family to pull it off. And for God to put this, much, uh, put this type of responsibility on, onto the shoulders of this family. But I've already called them broken and dysfunctional, and hopefully you can pick, the, pick up the sarcasm of my voice. Uh, they are anything but a picture-perfect family. 
they are really, uh, they, they, they do have points in their lives where they're strong, points in the, uh, moments in their life where we see strong expressions of faith. But yet we also see so much brokenness. I mean, there's envy, there's jealousy, there's stubbornness, there's deceit that infects so many of their relationships. And as a result, it splits this family apart. It splits the family apart that God had chosen to bless the whole world. And we see this split happen in Genesis 27. If you haven't already made your way there, it's going to be our primary text. So go ahead and make your way to it. And, uh, and I forgot to say, hey, I'm David, uh, to those of you new. Forgot to introduce myself earlier. So if I hadn't had a chance to meet you yet, um, welcome. I'm glad that you were here. I'm feeling awkward that now I'm doing this in the middle of the sermon. Uh, so, but, uh, but no, we're glad that you're here. Let's get back to the craziness of 27. Uh, the craziness actually starts in Genesis 25. And so I'm going to kind of tell you the story of what happens in 25 leading into 27. In Genesis 25, Rebecca is pregnant, and she's having a difficult uh, pregnancy. Um, it, you know, it's, it's kind of a troubled pregnancy, and prays, she prays to the Lord, why is this happening? Why am I having a difficult pregnancy? And, and God uh, tells her um, that she has twins, and that the twins represent two nations, uh, that two nations are represented inside of her. One will be stronger than the other. And in a grand reversal, God tells her that the older son will serve the younger son. Um, in the culture that, 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 that they would be born into, in the, in the culture of this time, the firstborn uh, was, was considered the, the patriarch in waiting. The firstborn was the heir apparent. He would receive a special blessing, a special birthright from his father. And with that, he would receive the vast majority of the, of the inheritance, if not all of it. God tells Rebecca, it's going to be, uh, that's not the case with your sons. It's going to be flipped. The older will serve the younger. And so God tells her, that's why this, you're having trouble with this pregnancy. But uh, they, she goes to deliver uh, her, her babies, and the, firstborn, uh, that, uh, or the first one that is born is Esau. And uh, Scripture lets us know that he has a red complexion and is hairy all over. And every time I give that description, I feel like it's the setup for like a bad joke. Like, what's red and hairy all over? Esau. Like, there's no punchline. It's just a red, hairy baby. <laughs> and so, like, like, so Esau's born, and uh, I don't know why, it just makes me giggle. And so uh, Esau's born, he uh, he's, he's really quickly becomes his father's favorite. Uh, uh, so Isaac uh, is, is, has kind of chosen that, that Esau is going to be his favorite. And Esau grows to be really a man of the woods. He's an outdoorsman. He's a hunter. Um, he's known for making impetuous, rash decisions. And, and so uh, if you have, are familiar with any other Bible stories, the, the, the line of people that come out of Esau are known as the Edomites. And so, but, but nevertheless, that's, that's the story of, of Esau's birth. When Jacob is born, Jacob uh, obviously is the second born, so he follows Esau. And when, when Jacob is born, he's still grabbing the heel of his older brother Esau. And so he's kind of known as the heel grabber. And, uh, and so he is, and really even that story about their birth kind of foreshadows the conflict that would be between this, this set of twin brothers. Um, Jacob is kind of the polar opposite of Esau. And then that kind of always the case in the family sometimes, like one sibling's this way and one way is the other. And, and so uh, Jacob is, uh, he's more of a homebody. Um, he, he's, he's not the outdoorsman. He, he likes to stay uh, around the house. And he's not impetuous. He's very calculating. He's very cunning, very crafty in his decisions. And, and, and Rebecca, uh, is, Rebecca is, is dotes on, on uh, Jacob. Jacob becomes uh, Rebecca's favorite. And I, I do think perhaps that's connected back to the promise that God has, has told to Rebecca, that God has told, told to Isaac that the younger will serve the older. But what you see in this, even with that short of a story, is that you see that there's already some, um, 
some, some brokenness in between Isaac and, and Rebekah. There's already maybe some division between Isaac and his wife. And there's already some brokenness in the parent-child dynamic, the parent-child relationship in the home. If we're to keep reading in Genesis 25, we see there's a little bit of a time jump. Actually, there's a big time jump. Esau, uh, the next story we have, Esau and Jacob are grown. And Esau has gone out on this uh, hunting expedition and he comes back and he is saying that I am famished, I am thirsty, I'm going to die if I don't get anything uh, to eat. But uh, he's, he's been all of this, on this journey, he's come back home, so he's had enough strength to make it home. And when he comes in, Jacob realizes, hey, my older brother is in this vulnerable state. And Jacob realizes, hey, I've got an opportunity where I can take advantage of my older brother. And, uh, and I don't know, like, to me, that's just kind of, more like sibling dynamics because I am a little brother and if I ever saw an opportunity where I could win against my older brothers like I was going to take it and so part of me is like I understand what Jacob's what, what and like some of you are judging me right now um, but like I understand a little bit about what Jacob is thinking in that situation but Esau comes back and he's hungry and uh, and again with kind of the impetuous rash decisions we also kind of see Esau maybe he's being a little bit overly dramatic I'm gonna die if I don't get something to eat but he's made it all the way back home and so Jacob, what he does is he, he makes a stew and he goes back to Esau and he says, I'll give you this food if you will give me your birthright. I'll give you this food if you will give me the blessing and, and let everyone consider me the firstborn. Again, Esau, kind of being overly dramatic, is thinking, what good is my birthright if I die? So sure, we'll call you the firstborn. And he gets his stew and, and Jacob gets the blessing. And so what you see in that are, is, is a couple things. One, we see Esau's just... Uh, flippant uh, uh, thought process or belief, flippant attitude, that's what I'm going for, flippant attitude towards the birthright, towards the blessing uh, that, that he has uh, from his father and just that he would easily just kind of pass it along. And we also see, again, that craftiness, that uh, deceitfulness in Jacob that he would seize an opportunity for such selfish gains. But more than anything, it shows the, how fast these brothers are, are willing to be in conflict with one another. You see the tension that is happening there. All that ramps up to a whole nother level in Genesis 27. In Genesis 27, Isaac is old. He believes he's about to die, although he's going to live like 40 years after this. Um, he, he, he believes he's going to die, and so he feels it's time to pass the birthright along. It's, it's time to give the blessing uh, to uh, his descendant. But as Isaac has chosen Esau to be his favorite, Isaac still wants to make him the heir. Isaac still wants to make him the, the one to receive the blessing. And so he calls Esau in and says, look, you're a, you know, you're a hunter. I love eating the wild game, so go kill some something, make a stew out of it, we'll have a meal, and then I'll give you this blessing. And so that's the plan. So Esau leaves his father Isaac to go kill something and create this meal. All the while, Rebekah hears this, and remember, Rebekah's favorite is Jacob. And so Rebekah goes to Jacob and says, look, this is what your father and, es and Esau are planning to do, but this is what we're going to do. I want you to go, I want you to kill two, two goats, I'll make your dad's favorite stew, and then, and then you take that food and you go back into to your dad, who is blind, and you tell him that you're Esau, and you get the blessing for yourself. Now, at this point, Jacob is like, I don't know. <laughs> Jacob's like, I don't know if this is a good plan. And, and it's not because he's like has any moral issue with it. He just thinks it's, there's no way they're going to be able to pull it off. Because Jacob remembers that Esau is hairy, and, and he is not. And so he's like, there's no way I'm going to be like, dad's not, he's, he's blind, but he's not dumb. And so Rebecca adds to the deception by saying, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll give you some of the clothes of Esau. And then we'll also take the skins from the goats that we've slaughtered, and we'll fashion those goat skins 
things to you, and, and maybe that'll trick him. And like, this is the comical part to me, right? Like, I mean, these are grown-ups playing dress-up and trying to pull this off. Like, I mean, like, I just have this picture of, of Jacob walking in, and maybe his older brother's clothes that are too big for him, and like, you know, goat skin's hanging off of him, trying to pass it off. And, and so like, that's the part that's comical to me. It's also the part that's tragic, because Rebecca is refusing to trust in God's providence. It's already been promised to him. It's already been promised that Jacob will be the blessed one, that he would receive the birthright. Yet, yet she is taking matters in her own hands and doing it in a deceptive way that's going to damage her, her other son Esau and doing it in a deceptive way that's going to damage her husband Isaac. And, and Jacob is, is willingly going along with this. I'm not saying that he's innocent. He's, he's just as guilty in this. I mean, there's plenty of guilt and blame to go around to all of them at this point. But Jacob eventually agrees, goes along with his plan. And this is where we come in on the text. Finally, the text. Genesis chapter 27, verse 18. So we're going to read about the con. Uh, This is Jacob uh, doing the action. He went to his father and said, my father, yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, How did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God gave me success, he replied. Okay, so so we can hear Isaac is suspicious. He's suspicious because Jacob doesn't sound right. And and then Isaac knows, hey, I just sent Esau out to go find something. And now he's already back. (laughs) It's like the fastest hunting trip ever. And so it's like something's not adding up. And and, and so he questions. And, And Jacob, in answering, did you notice Jacob's response? He says, the Lord, your God, gave me success. And so he's not owning his faith in this moment. He's, he's still like, God's your God, it's not my God. He's distancing himself there, all the while doubling down on the deception to his father. Because he continues, verse 21. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him, and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son Esau, he asked. I am, he replied. And so you can hear Isaac still suspicious. He's still like, uh, I don't know. You know, this, this isn't right. I'm hearing one thing, but I'm kind of experiencing another. But we see the goatskin ruse works. And so he, he eventually is, is, is good, getting okay as he continues to question. But as he asks over and over again, are you really my son? It's giving Jacob another occasion to walk it back. Like at every one of those occasions, every time the father says, are you really my son Esau? He could have confessed. He could have, he could have said, no, 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 it's not. He could have stopped the deception. He could have stopped the deceit. He could have, he could have really come in truth to his father. But, but no, he doesn't. He keeps up the deception. He keeps up the charade. And he plays the con all the way to the end. And we see the results. Verse 25. Then he said, my son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you a blessing. Jacob brought it to him and he ate. He brought some wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's riches and abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and people bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. Isaac tastes the food, smells the clothes of Esau, you know, feels the hairy goat skins, finally gives in and blesses Jacob. 
And Jacob leaves with a blessing, and like not two seconds after this, Esau walks back in with the game that he has killed and prepared for his father, looking for the blessing. And I'll tell you, the rest of the story where we keep reading, we see Isaac, when Esau walks back in, instantly knows he's been deceived. He, he knows he's been the, the, the recipient of this deception. And he, Scripture says of Isaac that he begins to tremble. And I, I think there's a couple things going down at, at play. One, I mean, obviously he's realizing he's been deceived. And so he's just, there's that grief and sadness over his son deceiving him in this way. But I also think, and I could be wrong, this is my guess. I also think Isaac is realizing um, how wrong he was to continue to try to bless Isaac. Uh, like putting his plans before the Lord's. And so I, I think maybe Isaac is, is seeing that, that he was off as well, seeing maybe where, where he was, where he was uh, trying to place his plans before the Lord. And so we see Isaac's reaction to the deception. He's visibly upset, grieved over what has taken place. Esau, when he realizes that his younger brother has, has been blessed, Esau's irate. And I think there's a couple levels of sibling dynamics happening here because remember, he traded away his birthright, so why is he even upset? So it looks like he's trying to, trying to backstab him as well, right? So he's trying to deceive his younger brother, but his younger brother beat him to the deception. And so maybe he's like, I got beat and I, my birthright got stolen. So like there's comp- competition, there's just theft at every turn. All of that just, just makes uh, his, 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 just so much rage come out of Esau, so much so to where he decides he's going to kill his brother. He, he has this plan that he's going to kill his, his younger brother Jacob. When Rebecca learns of his rage and, and knows what he is planning, Rebecca tips off her son Jacob and says, go and live with my uncle in my homeland. And so Jacob leaves his family, and that's the last time Rebecca sees her favorite son. She loses him so due to all of their lying deceit and really all of their lack of trust in God's provision. They were lying to attain something for themselves God had already promised to them. They just didn't trust in it. They didn't believe that God would do what he said he was going to do. And so they felt as though they had to force it. They felt as though they had to manufacture it. They felt as though they had to steal an identity in order to procure a blessing for themselves. And that is what happens when we fail to trust in the mercy and the grace of God. You see, this is why I believe this story is way more relevant to our lives than what we would initially assume or what we would initially believe. Because, I mean, again, it is a crazy story, right? I mean, to just talk through it for like the past 15 minutes. I mean, it's, there's, there's, there's dysfunction from start to finish. We see every character in it is flawed in multiple ways. We see tragedy and comedy of errors, again, from start to finish. But come on, I mean, there are times in, in the Deep South where we can be so tempted to try to assume the identity of a Christian in order to somehow steal blessings from society around us or maybe somehow steal blessings from God. We're so tempted to try to assume that identity to steal for ourselves, yet the whole time God in his mercy is already trying to offer those blessings to us. The whole time we overlook the fact we don't have to steal the identity. He wants to confer it to us, yet so many times we reject his offer time and time and time again. Let me get specific with that because I'm getting some puzzled looks from you off of, off of what I mean. What I mean by this is we are so prone to play to the externals of religion, so prone to play to the, to the expectations of cultural Christianity. We think I've got to act a certain way, I've got to look a certain way, because if I act and look this way, then everybody around me will, will think I'm a follower of Christ, and maybe I'll even trick God himself, or I'll trick myself, or whatever, and, and so maybe I, I can just get this deception going, and I'll go along, and people will think that, 
that I'm a good person, I can get the benefits that come from that. I can get the benefits of having that good reputation. And so what happens is, is, is people like, okay, well, let's, let's project we have the perfect marriage and let no one see a struggle. Let's know some answers to some theological questions so that, so that we can speak the language. But let's stop short of seeing how that theology genuinely makes a difference in our soul. And that leads to a genuine difference in the way that we live. No, let's, let's just keep it on the, ex, on the external. Or no, let's make sure that we, we show up in church enough to where, where we have a reputation of being active. But let's stop short of letting a community of faith take us deeper into the truths of Christ. To help us understand more of who he is. More of the love that he has. More of how his grace transforms us. And so no, well, let's just keep it on the surface. Instead, we'll make sure that maybe we give to a good cause. Some maybe we volunteer a little bit because we want to check those boxes off. We want to look, make those have all, all the externals look right. So we look like a Christian. We act like a Christian. We smell like a Christian. All the while, if we are honest with ourselves, it's goatskins. It's goatskins. We know we're flawed. We know we're jacked up. We know that we're broken, but we're trying to cover it up the best that we can. And when we do, we are overlooking the mercy and the grace that God truly desires to give. God's mercy and grace are terms that are frequently used in church, but they refer to the truth that God knows exactly how broken and jacked up you are. He knows exactly how deserving of punishment you are due to your sin and due to your deceit, but yet he loves us anyway. He desires, he desires to bless us anyway. He wants to restore, he wants to redeem us, and he wants to do that when we come to him in truth and in faith. So we come to him in truth, we come to him in the truth. It's, it's, it's God, I know I'm a sinner and I am jacked up and I'm broken. And because of my sin, I, I know that I'm in due punishment. I know that I'm, I, I know that I'm off. So I'm not, going to, I, I'm not going to act like that is not the case, right? I'm not going to keep up the deception. I'm going to come to you in truth. And I'm going to confess I don't have it all together. And what's more, I'm going to come to you in faith. I'm going to come to you in, in faith that, that you have made a way for this to be set to right. That, that through Jesus, you've made a way for, for it to make it right on my behalf and that you want to make it right on my behalf. You've made a way for my sins to be forgiven and for your righteousness to be granted. And so I'm gonna come to you in truth that I'm sinful, that I'm broken, and I'm gonna come to you in faith that you are working this forgiveness into my life. And it's God's grace and it's God's mercy that prompt us to come to him in truth and faith. Because knowing that God delights to restore, right? Knowing that God delights to redeem, knowing that God delights to forgive leads us and helps us see we don't have to pose. This isn't fake it till you make it, all right? This, 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 we don't have to project that we have it all together. I, we, we don't have to put on the goat skins because we can come to him in truth and in faith. And because of God's grace and mercy, he meets us there and he blesses. And when God blesses, when God redeems, he gives to us our genuine identity as a child of God. And it's not identity theft. It's identity that's conferred. Romans 8, 16 through 17 says this, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So you see in this, when we trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit testifies in our heart and our, and our soul that we are children of God. That's our identity. And we also recognize that we have a loving and gracious older brother. There's no sibling rivalry here. 
There's no sibling rivalry to split the family. The blessing and the birthright is all due to Christ, the Son of God. Yet in His grace, in His mercy, and in the plan of His Father, they have made a way for that blessing and that birthright to be bestowed onto all that place their hope and their faith and their trust in Him. It's not a wedge to split the family. It's a work done that brings about the family reunion. It's a work that's done to, to, to heal and to restore the family. Galatians chapter 3, 26 and 27 echoes this truth. And this is a passage that we hit just a few weeks ago, and, and no doubt we'll probably hit this a couple more times in the weeks to come because it's all about connecting even this promise of Abraham to the hope of Christ. It says this, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you are baptized into Christ and have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male or female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. By faith, we're children of Christ, right? By faith, we're children of God and clothed with Christ, not goatskins. We're clothed with Christ. Goatskins covers the external. Christ transforms the internal, which brings the permanent and lasting change from the inside out. It is our new identity as a child of God who belongs to Christ. Paul even uses the metaphor uh, to connect us back to, to Abraham's family, that we are heirs of the promise of God adopted into his family. No goatskins required, but faith and trust in the mercy and the grace of God that fits us for his family. To me, that is the hope of Genesis 27. It's the hope of Genesis 27 because, again, you read it and, and you, like, I, I see the dysfunction from start to finish. And I'm like, really, God, these are the people you're using. These are the people you're using for, for your redemptive plan and for your eternal purposes. I can't believe these are the people you're using. And God's response is yes, emphatically yes, because if I use them, I can use you too. If I use them, I can use you too. And, and that in of itself, hear me on this. If I've lost you, come back in on this. Because that, because this is almost a sermon in itself. Like that notion should push back the way that we read the Bible. For so much of my life, I read the Bible for heroes. I read the Bible trying to find heroes of the faith that, that I can model and, and emulate my life after. And, and to be sure, there are people in, in the text that have strong moments that we can learn from, have, have, have strong principles that we can take that we can put into our life. But it's a poor practice to approach the Bible looking for heroes. Case in point, and this is a genuine ask, um, if you can find a model of a biblical marriage, let me know. Like, there's not one. Like, we, we don't have, like, a picture in Scripture of, like, a strong and, and, and healthy marriage and a husband and wife working together in tandem. Like, we, don't, we really just don't have a good picture of that in Scripture. I wish we did. I would, would, would want to write some awesome marriage series off of it, right? But, like, we don't have that, that hero. And so, I, I, again, we don't read for heroes. But what we read and we see these people, they have strong moments that we can learn from, strong uh, even principles that we can take from their lives. But those same people have dark moments as well. They have places where they're broken and they're jacked up. So what we have when we read scripture, like even when we, like when you read the, like even the genealogy, like in the first chapter of Matthew, what you have there is, is one sinful and broken person listed after another. So what you really have there is one story after another of God's transformative grace and mercy that redefine their identity, right? He's not a murdering adulterer. He's David, a man after God's own heart. He's not a murderer who abandoned his people. He's Moses, pastor and shepherd. 
He's not a murdering religious terrorist. He's Paul, church planner, missionary to the Gentiles. And those are not identities that are fake. Those are identities that are conferred upon them by the grace and the mercy of God who's redeemed and restored his children and used them for his eternal purposes. We read the Bible and we see example after example after example of God's mercy and God's grace and how that gives to us our identity as a child of God focused in and drawn into the purposes of our family. And so my hope and prayer for you and for me is that we would lay down our goat skins and never pick them back up again. I, at the moment of salvation, there is, there's a time when we lay down our goat skins initially, right? It's, we're coming to him in, in faith and in truth. I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness in my life to restore me, to, to grant that relationship. And so if you're a follower of Christ, we've had that moment where we've laid down the goat skins. But if you're like me, there's also times in my life where I can be so tempted to go back and want to pick them back up again. Think, okay, well, now that I'm a Christian, I have to be super Christian, right? Like, now that I'm a Christian, I, now that I'm a pastor, i got to make sure that I'm giving this image, I've got everything, and I'm just so tempted to come back and want to pick up the goat skins. And it's, it's just tiring trying to fake it till you make it, right? It is destructive for your soul, and it is destructive for those around you. When the whole time God's mercy and grace is freely offered to us to clothe us in Christ, to remind us that we have been clothed in Christ, to show us and remind us again and again that the blessing and the birthright has been given, that we are genuine recipients and a genuine part of the family of God. And that promise, okay, that promise, that promise should keep us grounded in our identity and anchored to the purposes of our family. And I pray it helps you and I pray it helps me lay down our goatskins and never pick them back up again. Because God is there to give grace and mercy and to show us our genuine identity as a beloved child of God, redeemed, restored, and adopted into his family.